0: Please be seated. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. That should be an easy one to find. Acts chapter 2. This is our second week of a series called First Things, Stories from the Book of Acts. Now, why do we call it First Things? Well, in terms of the church, it's the beginning. It is a completely new work of God. It's something similar to his work in creation and similar to his work in recreation as you come to the end of the Bible, as you get into the book of Revelation, and it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. There's that new or renewed creation there. And what's happening in the book of Acts, this is a brand new phase in God's plan for the redemption of humanity. Acts is a very special place. It's about the first things that happened when the church was created. And uh, you could say that these things are the first things that God did through the apostles by means of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last week, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, we read about how Jesus had been out with his disciples and he said to them that they should go And they should wait in Jerusalem and wait because something very special is about to happen. Here's what he said. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, he also told them that when this spirit baptism happened, that there would be some things involved. There would be power involved, and they would be his witnesses. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, uh, being a witness involves what? Being a witness is really about what you personally saw, what you personally experienced. What is your experience of God? What is your testimony? What led you to believe in Jesus? How did that happen? How, how did it happen to you? And and then what was the life? What was your life like after you came to faith in Christ? Because you know it isn't all over when we come to faith. That's just the beginning. You know sometimes we think in terms of you know we pray that prayer. We talk about the sinner's prayer, and we you know we pray that prayer, and and. Uh, We think, oh, well, I prayed the prayer. I'm in. I'm in. I'm one of the elect now. You know, I'm all set apart. I'm ready to go. And that's just the beginning of our faith walk in Christ. That's not the end. That's just the start. So uh, how, how did that happen in your life? What happened after that in your life? And how are you sharing that with other people? Are you sharing your story? The apostles, it says, we're going to be receiving power, and, and they were going to be witnesses starting right where they lived, right in Jerusalem, and they were going to keep spreading that gospel person to person. That's how it spread. You know, they, There were only this limited number of guys they themselves couldn't get everywhere in the known world. So what was happening? They were preaching and sharing the gospel as they did and others came to know Christ and they began to share their stories and within a very short time, the gospel is spread to the known world from one end of the world to the other, to the ends of the earth, literally as they knew them at their time. Well, I can imagine the apostles and... Looking at each other and going, okay, how's that gonna work? You know, Uh, what does it even mean? What does all this mean? And uh, you get into Acts chapter 2, and guess what? It starts to answer some of those questions. So that's where we're going this morning. Acts chapter 2 finds them in Jerusalem. They did what Jesus told them to do, they were obedient. And they went there to wait, and so they went to Jerusalem, and the end of chapter 1 tells us there were about 120 believers that were gathered together, crowded into this upper room where the apostles were staying. And you know, it's a really interesting group, because you know, right there, uh, right off the top, it mentions Jesus' mother is there, you know, so it's not just the twelve. Now we've got others there, too. You've got Jesus' mother. You've got the entire entourage of ladies who had been traveling with the apostles as they moved from place to place. They're all there. And you've got all these new believers. uh, They're gathered with them, too. And so all together, you've got 120 of these people gathered together, and what were they doing? They were praying as they were waiting. That's what was happening inside the building. Now what was going on outside? Well, outside in the street... We had a big festival going on, the Feast of Pentecost. That happens 50 days after Passover, and so that's where that comes from. Pentecost means 50th or 50, and, and uh, it celebrates or commemorates the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. That's the main reason for gathering. Uh, it's considered one of the most important moments in Jewish history, and so they celebrated it at, at, at this Passover festival, as, as well as the, the Passover, or, or at the uh, Pentecost festival. And um, Jews came from everywhere to be part of this. I mean, Jews had scattered throughout the known world, and they came home for this particular festival. It was also a harvest festival that celebrated the ingathering of the grain harvest. And so there was a whole lot of feasting going on. My understanding is that they, they, there was a particular emphasis, or at least there is today, on the eating of dairy. And so uh, a lot of cheesecake, cheese blintzes, if you like cheese blintzes, I love them. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And so there was a lot of that kind of intake going on and a lot of feasting. And the streets were absolutely packed with people. They were full so, we got the disciples praying, and there was a huge party going on right outside the windows, and suddenly a miracle happened, and those two very different worlds collided and came together. And that's what happened on, on the day of Pentecost, as we recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out that there's really three parts to Acts 2. There's really three parts to what went on on that day of Pentecost. Because there were a lot of very important things happening. But there's three main things, things of importance. First of all, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then second, Peter's sermon that changed all kinds of lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the formation of a fellowship of believers that we call the church. These three things are going on here. We've got the Spirit, the sermon, and the church, and that's where we're going to go this morning. So, first of all, we are in Acts 2, and we're going to read 1 through 13, and if you've got your Bible, you might want to follow along with us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, it says, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Up until this point in the history of God's people, the Holy Spirit only filled certain special people who were given certain special tasks by God. So you have a lot of kings and prophets who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a list of people like Joseph and Joshua. Gideon and Samson are listed as being filled with the Spirit. Saul and David. And sometimes special abilities came along with that filling. So we have, you know, when Saul was filled, Saul Saul wasn't particularly a great guy. But God came on him and filled him with his Spirit on one occasion. And, And there he lay in the road prophesying for God. Well, what happened to Samson? Samson wasn't always a great guy, but God came along and filled him with the Holy Spirit on occasion, and what happened with him? He had super strength, you know, as long as he was following God. That didn't work out so well for him in the end. It tells us that the craftsmen, the people who who built the tabernacle, the craftsmen, it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd never really read that before until I was doing this study and I'm, I'm going, yeah, that makes sense because God, not only were they already skilled, but God gave them special abilities so it went exactly the way God would want it to be built because that place was holy. It was a place where God was going to reveal himself and so it was important and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But you know, not all believers in the Old Testament were filled with the Holy Spirit, It doesn't even say they have the Holy Spirit. Well, what happens here? Everyone in this room, 120 people gathered together, this mixed group of people, they all have the Holy Spirit fall on them. And it looked like fire falling, and it says it separated, and it looked like these tongues of flame that went out to each person and came down on each one of them. What was going on right then? They were receiving the Holy Spirit, what Jesus called baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what that word baptized means, right? It means to be dipped, to plunge, uh, to be totally covered in. It means it's a dyeing of cloth word. So it's like you take, take a piece of cloth and you put it in a vat of dye, and when it comes out, it's a totally different color. That's what's going on with them they are receiving the Holy Spirit and they're being made to be something different. They're being transformed. And so that's what's happening here in the upper room. 120 believers receiving the Holy Spirit and it says they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit meaning just sort of they're completely submitted to what he's doing, what God is doing in them right at that moment. And they were being transformed by the power of God. Now, notice it, it isn't just the apostles being filled here. This is, again, I say, you know, as I said, this is a new thing that God is doing, right? So it's not just the apostles. God didn't just cut out the 12 from the herd and say, you know, you guys are going to be filled and the rest aren't. It doesn't say that. It says that all of them, every one of them, was being filled. Well, there are a lot of normal believers in that room that aren't apostles. They're not specially set aside. And there were women in that room. And there were all kinds of people in that room who you wouldn't normally think, oh, oh, well, God's going to give them this special gift. But they were all filled, every single one of them. Listen, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the rules changed. The rules changed. God took what they expected and turned a lot of that stuff right upside down. You know, this morning uh, in our uh, Bible for Life class, Del Tackett was talking about how Jesus changed the music. You know, the music was playing in a certain way. They were used to culture going a certain way. They were used to behaving in a certain way and thinking a certain way about God. And then God went, okay, let's do this. Let's change the music. And, And it says that all of them, apostles, regular disciples, men and women, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, meaning languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, when it says other tongues, what it means is languages other than their own normal language that they would be speaking, right? And they must have gone out into the street because all of a sudden the crowds that are out there, they begin to hear this great big hubbub that's going on, a big ruckus going on, and they come and they're attracted to see what's going on. And, and here's what Acts 2, 5 and 6 says. It says, "'Now there were staying in Jerusalem, "'God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. "'When they heard this sound, "'a crowd came together in bewilderment "'because each one heard their own language being spoken.'" They were amazed because this group, they were Galileans. Now, I don't know if you know about Galileans. Galileans were the brunt of the joke. You know, I don't know if there's a region where you come from, there are people in your area where, well, we kind of joke about them. You know, you kind of think about them as a little dull-witted or, you know, not quite up to par. Well, this is, this is how they thought of Galileans. And here are all, the, they're all Galileans, this group of people, and they're all speaking languages they cannot possibly know. It is not possible. And they, they look at these people and like, these are Galileans. You've got to be kidding me. What is going on here? And there is no way they could speak this wide variety of languages that they were speaking. It says, you know, it says it reinforces the idea that, that there are so many different languages. It says they were from every nation under heaven. And then if you continue in the text, we're not going to read the list right now, but there's a long list of you know Parthians and Medes and all the different kinds of people and where they came from, from all over the known world. And it just reinforces, it helps us to get the point of just how amazing this is, this thing that's going on right here, right now. Do you know what it's like to be in a strange country where you don't speak the language? You ever had that experience we've had that on different occasions and and i know that many of you have had that experience of being somewhere where you just <laughs> everybody else speaks a different language from you and and you feel completely cut off you feel kind of lonely you know we were uh, in rome a while back and and um i was standing one day in front of the arch of constantine near the Colosseum and and um, I had been talking with my son-in-law, and he'd gone off to, to another place here to talk with other people in our family, and, and I was standing by myself looking at the arch when these two ladies came up, and they were standing beside me, and um, I noticed that they were speaking English, and, and they had these questions, and I could hear them talking between them. They had all these questions about this thing that was in front of us, and they were asking people, and people were shaking their head because they didn't speak English, and And so I went up to them and I started talking to them, and you could have seen the the way their eyes lit up and their face lit up. Oh, he speaks our language. And as I started to ask them questions, they turned out, guess where they were from? Pennsylvania. (laughs) Well, that was kind of cool. I I speak that language. I speak Pennsylvania, not as well as some of you do, but I, I speak that. And then as I began to ask a few more questions, I found out that they were from Harrisburg. Well, I speak that dialogue. I speak Harrisburgian. And so I was able to, to talk with them, and they were able to relate with me, and we were able to, to, I was able to answer their questions, and only because my son-in-law just told me about five minutes before that. <laughs> but but I, they were able to communicate with someone who spoke the heart language that they spoke, Right. And so what's going on here in Jerusalem? We got all these people and they're from all over the place. They're travelers far from home and some of them are probably homesick and there's nobody who speaks their language and they're out in the street and they hear this group of people who come out and all of a sudden they're starting to hear their own language and they perk up. Wow. And there's something miraculous going on because they know these people can't know that language. And these people are telling them the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And they're telling them about forgiveness and salvation. And they're telling them about the wonders of God. And, and, and here's what it says. It says, they were amazed and perplexed. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, I don't know how you do evangelism. I I. I'm a little shy in that area. That's an area I've never felt strongly gifted in, but I do have a technique for evangelism, and basically I pray, Lord, let them ask questions so that I can then feel that I have the right to bring an answer. And I've often prayed that. I've prayed that in warehouses where I've worked. I've prayed that all over the place, and I've, I've seen people come to Jesus through that. And here's this question. What does this mean? That is a massive opening that God is giving them. You can drive a truck through that opening, right? That is a great question. What does this mean? Well, some smart Alex in the crowds of others, it means that they're drunk. <laughs> you know, they've had too much wine. That's what that means. But then Peter's sermon comes along. Ah, What's Peter doing? As we move into Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 41, Peter sees the opening, and he's going to drive the truck through it. That's what he's going to do. He's going to answer that. He says, hey, everybody, let me explain to you what you're seeing. These people aren't drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. I guess they didn't have morning drinkers there. This, what you're seeing, is something completely different. To understand this, folks, what you need to understand is you need to look back into our history, and you need to look back into the Old Testament, and you need to look at at the prophets. What did the prophets say? The prophet Joel said this about this very thing. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They will prophesy. He's saying, what this is, is what God promised you a long time ago and that becomes his opportunity to talk to them about Jesus right that's what's happening he sees that question he seizes that question and he answers that question so people know what's really going on here now before you go any further i think you have to think about who is this that's speaking when when he gets up to speak this is peter This is the guy who puts both feet in his mouth at the same time, right? This is the guy who gets into trouble a lot. You know, he's the one that Jesus rebukes so severely when he tries to get him not to go to the cross. As far as we know, uh, the only public speaking that Peter has ever done is to seagulls and fish. But here he is. He's eloquent. He's persuasive. He uses prophecy. He uses history in the way that Jesus used history in prophecy. he's, He's following Jesus' example and it sounds very similar to the way Jesus would have presented things. The Holy Spirit has done something to Peter. Something has happened to Peter. He's been transformed, changed in some way from this rough, awkward fisherman. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman but there's you know, just the way he carried himself. He's been changed into this person who is now addressing thousands. He is new in Christ. He's new in that situation. And it's the result of the Holy Spirit coming on him and filling him. Peter gets up and he begins to preach, and he Begins to talk to them about Jesus, and he gets to the part where he reminds them that God sent his Messiah and you crucified him. I mean, he can say that. He's a Jew. He can say that to his fellow Jews, and, and they received that from him. And Luke says they were cut to the heart. They realized what, what they had done, they realized what they had missed. They said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Oh, there's another one of those wonderful questions, right? (laughs) What shall we do? It deserves an answer, and Peter's going to give them an answer. And again, uh, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. This is what you should do. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. This is for everybody. This is not a restricted thing. This is for everybody. And we're told that about 3,000 people accepted that message that day. They received that message, and it says they were baptized, too. I don't know where they got all the water, but, man, they baptized 3,000 people on that day. And that is the beginning of the church. Don't know where that slide went, but it'll come back, maybe. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You know, at the beginning of Acts, we have this very loose group of confused followers, and they are waiting, but they don't really fully understand what they're waiting for. You know, they they have an idea. You know, Jesus said you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? They didn't know what that meant. They were waiting. At the end of the chapter, we have the church, something brand new, something unique. Like the apostles, these people were also going to be witnesses for Jesus. They went from 12 to 120. They went to a, from 120 to 3,120. You know, there were there's this big jump in the church, and something beautiful is being created. You have all these people from all over the place. They don't even know each other. They, they probably have different cultural expressions of Judaism. And today they're becoming a community. By the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God had created something new. Listen to what Luke says. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which means they ate together, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. and They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day, every day, They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. (sighs) I think I understand what Rick Warren means when he says, the church at the beginning is the church at its best. You know, we we look at this little paragraph <laughs> and our hearts go, Whew. man, I resonate with that. You know, my whole Christian life, I, I've resonated with this idea, with this thought. You know, it's, it's the ideal. I know it's an ideal, but what I've resonated with that. I've searched for that my whole Christian life. I've wanted to be a part of a faith community just like that my whole Christian life. And I bet your heart feels the same about it. Man. If this is how they behave, this is an intense fellowship, and there's a powerful sense of God right there in the middle of it, and they have common beliefs, and they have a common purpose, and they're learning together, and there is real gladness and joy from a group of people who never even knew each other when this started. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? In a really short time, in a matter of days, God took these disparate people and He brought them together, and they are now a unit, something cohesive. Something's going on here that only God can do. And I've often heard people say, probably thinking the same way I think about this passage, why can't we just be like the early church? Have you heard people say that? Have you said that yourself? Why can't we just be like the early church? Now, I understand that sediment. As I said, my heart resonates with that. This is powerful togetherness. Powerful. I could just live right there in that place forever. You know, I just want to, you know, get in there and never leave. And there is really no reason why many of these things or all of these things can't be part of what we do right here place of comfort safety and security and love all of those things we can be all of those things but do you know something God doesn't intend for you to live in a Christian ghetto (laughs) you understand what I'm saying he has work for us to do and most of that work is out there Most of it. Oh, hi. (laughs) We are his witnesses. We're going to talk more about bold witnessing next week. Each one of us has a vital role to play. Each one of us has gifts that we've been given to use. We have a mission that we're called to be a part of something that grows out of transformed lives. It's not something that we do alone. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit and accompanied by the Holy Spirit. He goes with us in us. And we're also accompanied by like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ called to be a body to do these things. So as we kind of wrap this together this morning let's see if we can find some takeaway from this well i think first and foremost there is a call to wait on god until we receive the filling of the holy spirit we already received him when you receive jesus you receive the holy spirit We'll talk about some exceptions to that as we go a little further in, in Acts that aren't really the norm for the way things happen after this period, but we already have the Holy Spirit. If we have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you aren't saved. That's plain and simple. But we aren't always filled by Him, we aren't always immersed in Him. And just like the disciples were empowered by the holy spirit at pentecost we are also called to be filled with the spirit and step out in faith we're to trust god's power to guide us to empower us to do ministry you know peter's sermon it reminds us that we too can be transformed you know his his boldness in proclaiming the gospel is a great example to us that what happens when God gets a hold of us and we step out in faith, trusting that God is gonna be the results or bring the results. You know, when we do that, even those simple steps, even when we're scared to death doing it, God can bring amazing results and great things can happen and lives can be changed. Seeing this church, newly formed, it reminds us of what we can be if we let God build the community in us and through us. When he calls, we obey, right? As you go, and I mentioned this last week, but I wanna, I'm going to keep mentioning it over the next several weeks. But, but when you go to your devotional time each day, when you talk to God... Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you. In Ephesians 5:18, it says, you know, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the second half, we could easily brush that off, but the second half is actually a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. And we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God would never call you to do something if he didn't intend to answer your prayer and fill you. Be persistent. Continue to pray. God will answer that prayer. And the greater part of that is us submitting to him and allowing him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We can pray with you about that if you'd like us to do that. We can talk together about that if you want to know more about that. But God will fill us and He will use us to do His will, even right here in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. What we submit to Him, God will fill. That's a promise. Let's pray together. We thank you, God, for the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who comes to live in each one of us who is a believer, who comes to give us the strength to live just as you've called us to live. And your Holy Spirit empowers us to do your will. And to have the power to share our testimony and be witnesses for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful fellowship of believers called Fairview Avenue Church. And I ask you to continue to transform us as a church into your beautiful likeness. When people look at this body, may they see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.